Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. Today, our guests are co-directors Gary Smart and Christopher Griffith, whose new documentary, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, The Robert England Story, is premiering exclusively on Screenbox June 6th. Guys, welcome on the show, and congratulations on a really interesting documentary you guys did. How, how are you? Yeah, just good. It's, it's it's kind of really nice to be able to talk about it now to people who have watched it. It's like we've been, you know, over the last couple of years trying to work on this, and now people are actually seeing it. It's just an amazing kind of experience now for us. Well, Gary, how long did this take to put together? Uh, we originally spoke to Robert, I believe, in November 2018. Wow. Uh, that was the first time we had a conversation with him about actually doing the doc, and then we met him in London in the March 2019, where he kind of confirmed, obviously, that he was happy to obviously you know, move forward on the project. We started filming summer 2019, and then COVID obviously happened mm -hmm. in the early 2020, uh, and we kind of our last interview with Robert was in October 2022. Nice. So it's been a long process. Yeah, COVID's, COVID's kind of helped us in the real. I know it was shitty for everybody, but it kind of helped us because it gave us a breather. Yeah. to reevaluate the project and obviously then obviously build a relationship with Robert as well. Now, Christopher, before we continue, what is that a that's a dog on can we see the dog? <laughs> Let's see the dog. Oh live debut. <laughs> you know that, that reminds me of similarly to the dog in Men in Black, the one that could talk. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, my little Frank. <laughs> now Christopher, uh tell us how long have you and Gary worked together? So this will be our tenth yeah, pretty much our 10th anniversary comes September. Nice. And you can see, you know, I've, I, if you'd seen what I looked like 10 years ago, the rate of the exponential rate of aging has kind of rapidly increased. So um, I, could, <laughs> I could have looked a lot better by this point. <laughs> well, at least you have your hair, which is more than I could say. Um, <laughs> so, Chris, Chris, this documentary is not just about the Nightmare on Elm Street films. This is about Robert England's career. And what a fascinating career that he has had. Uh, like I was telling Gary before we went live, seeing him talk in this documentary, his eyes are just, just light up talking about his career. Uh, what part of Robert's story really you know, stuck out for you? I think the main thing for me is, um, I think if I had a preference, it's got to be the early days. I think, you know, I, I use this anecdote quite a lot, but and as crass as it sounds, but we're in a day and age now where if you fart in a microphone live on the internet or on TV, you're a celebrity. <laughs> we all know Robert, obviously, as Freddy Krueger, and I know the mandate for this project was to go beyond the glove and the fedora, but of course, it's unavoidable. Yeah. But I think what's so endearing and amazing, to be honest, and I, I, you know, admittedly, as a film nerd, I knew he had been in stuff. I knew Big Wednesday, Stay Hungry, and everything like that. But we're talking like 14 years worth of a career mm -hmm. before. A Nightmare on Elm Street 12, if you want to, uh, you know, if you factor in V. But that's like all those years of doing this work and the stuff he rocked up in. You know, I didn't even know he was, you know, a small part, but in A Star is Born, the yeah. Chris Christopherson one. So I think that's what I enjoyed the most. I mean, we've primarily covered a lot of 80s stuff with our existing projects. And I'm very much, I equally love the 70s, you know, all genres. So to be able to kind of, delve into that world a little bit with this project and with someone who's such a great storyteller was probably my favorite part of this project and those of you who think you know robert's 
whole career. Trust me, when you watch this thing, you are going to learn stuff that you did you did not know. Now, Gary, for me, I got introduced to Robert as Willie from V. Now, I don't know the V originally was a TV mini series. It got rebooted like about a decade ago. A very popular show. Now, the character of Willie, I don't know if you ever watched it, is a complete 180 to Freddy yeah. Krueger, okay? Shy, timid alien. He was an alien, but <laughs> a good alien. He was one of the good guys. Um, when was the first time, Gary, that you saw Robert on the screen? It's, it's got to be Freddy Krueger for me. I mean, I was allowed to watch horror films at a very early age, and I remember vivid memories of being in primary school so probably being at the age of about five or six yeah. having the vhs copy of a nightmare on street part two uh, i remember having that for christmas as one of my presents i had that and the amateurville too my parents were screwed off I had the amateurville <laughs> too and i had nightmare on street two on vhs and i was taking it into school and then out to people and i had a big poster of freddy krueger on my bedroom door we'd bought it from a local like seaside town and i begged my mom for it and my dad and they bought it me so it's always been at the very start of me was Freddy Krueger and and because I loved film even as a kid I loved special effects I kind of knew who Robert was you know I but I would look at the credits and look at names and I'd try and do some research and obviously back then it was very difficult in yeah. you know the probably mid 80s uh, and obviously as I got older the internet started coming obviously a bit more uh, uh, out you use able to obviously go on the internet and find more what Robert's work. So yeah, it's going to be cliche, but it's Freddy Krueger for me, definitely. How about for you, Christopher? When did you first see Robert on the screen? Well, you'd be really surprised to hear it was uh, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> it was Freddy Krueger, <laughs> and you know, I think that's kind of again the same kind of not a dilemma at all. But with the the documentary, are oh, you doing something which is not Freddy Krueger? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of Freddy Krueger stuff in there. So, yeah, that's it was it was I think it was the original Nightmare on Elm Street I saw first. But I think I saw it a bit later than the other respective franchises. I think Chainsaw Massacre yeah. was bench for me at quite a young age. And then and, Friday the 13th and then Nightmare on Elm Street, um the first one. And he has become such a horror icon. Gary, yeah. there are no shortages of stars that come out for the, for your documentary. Lance Henriksen, Eli Roth, Tony Todd, just to mention a few. Since you did have a good four plus years to put this together, was it pretty easy to get to everybody when they were available or were there challenges along the way? Uh, I mean, at first, there wasn't many challenges. Uh, you know, it was, again, I don't want to keep going about COVID, but it was pre-COVID. And obviously, we normally go on these projects, you know, three or four weeks in the States. We, we schedule a studio by our amazing producer, Mikey Perez in the States. Yeah. He does all that for us. And we kind of got, everybody came on board. I think because it was Robert and everybody loves Robert. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there were a few scheduling conflicts and people we probably wanted and we didn't get. I think that was mainly because of COVID. And obviously by the time COVID was over, we'd already got so far into the narrative of the doc and so far into the edit, we just couldn't then get people in. Yeah. And then, you know, even right up until probably, 18 months ago it was very difficult to do interviews and we didn't want to do zoom interviews we didn't want to do things like that we wanted the you know the on-camera you know high quality yeah. obviously uh interviews with people so no not really i mean it was kind of easy-ish to a degree i'm saying that now retrospectively because it was probably really hard at the time <laughs> uh but i think when once you've got robert and i think when people know it's about his career people love him you know, and you know eli roths and adam greens Corey Taylor's was yeah. straight on board. You know, there was no kind of hesitation. 
It's like, yeah, when do you need us? Now, and that Chris, was a testament to him. Exactly. Now, Chris, yeah. as you're listening to all these people recount their stories about Robert, was there any particular person or story that stuck out for you? Oh, good question. Oh, <laughs> I should have thought this one in advance. <laughs> I mean, they all had amazing stories. Yeah, they, all, yeah, they all did. I mean, it's a it's a weird old thing because we're fanboys, right? And mm -hmm. I always want to kick my ass when I realized when at the time, I'm like, I don't think I absorbed that. I was sat opposite Lance Henriksen or Eli Roth or anything like that. Because the main focus at the time of doing the inter you know when you're with these people is the job comes first i'm glad i've got that kind of work ethic about me because i can yeah. gush otherwise so i'm always really focused on that and a lot of people to be honest we did all we had to do was uh okay question one can you introduce yourself and then three hours later you're like oh shit uh question two because then <laughs> go and go and so like i think what um you know, we, there's a lot of documentaries out there now where it's like, oh, it's this person, it's that person. Corey Taylor, a friend of mine, kind of, you know, not bulked up, but it was like, oh, yeah, you got Corey Taylor because he rocks up and everything. But he did work with Robert. Yeah. I think everything we got there has got first, uh, first-hand experiences with him. So um, they all kind of serve purposes in different ways. So in terms of the edits, it's hard. I'm, I'm kind of going around this question. But yeah, for me, I think it was very interesting to have the likes of, like, William Cat, for example, from Carrie you know, the fact that they had sort of shared, they'd had their time in the theatre together, and then, you know, the sort of the Star Wars audition process period, which yeah. seemed to be like everyone of that era coming together, and then ultimately to the big Wednesday. So I think I just, what I found interesting was kind of like plucking out these people to say, oh, you represent Robert's early life. You represent that peak period of the 80s, and you guys represent then the new generation of, you know, people he's worked with. That's the interesting thing, you know, it's those he learned from, those who are his colleagues who he still learned from, and then there's those who he eventually kind of come to uh, would end up mentoring. And they all pretty much had the same thing to say, just how generous a person he was. Now, you are, Chris, one of the editors uh, of this documentary. That's correct, right? Now, yeah. in post-production, when you got to trim all this stuff down to two hours or less, I mean, I, I put myself in your position for a minute. I'm like, what a nightmare, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, three hours per person, and you got to fit everybody into two hours or less. I mean, how did you, did you have any kind of standards of what stayed and what didn't? Well, historically, we've had, we've had um, put it this way, to the average, you know, film goer, film viewer, whatever, we sometimes get flack for, it's too long. And then when he cut to the fans, genre fans and the, you know, topic specific fans, it wasn't long enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's always win. that delicate balance we're trying to work on to get that right level. But the Pete, uh, the other editor, Pete, had already done an edit with the guys. I kind of came into the edit. Um, it was about early last year, wasn't it, Gary? Yeah. And we basically, there was the original edit and then there was our edit that Gary and I were working on in this very room till about four o'clock in the morning. Uh, beating each other up. It still smells of him in here right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's kind of quite enjoyable. It's a struggle, and it sounds really pretentious, but edits almost, I've got to a point now where I feel like edits find themselves. They'll sort of tell you, you've got to lean this way. This is, you, you feel it. It's like intuition. Yeah. But I mean, the, the key to it is, is get the information across in a lean and mean way as fashion as possible which we used to not do mm -hmm. we used to just let things just roll out forever so it, it's tough but you've got to look at it as a project holistically 
And I think the biggest thing uh, now is having such easy tech available oh, yeah. or available of um, transcribes. So you, you get these documents and then you've got to pick your topics and then you kind of filter out and go, okay, Eli's talked about that. Mick Garris has talked about that. Who says it best? Which one works well with the other? So it, it's laborious, but oh, yeah. I dare say it's quite fun. And yeah, things do go to the wayside, but much like our previous documentary, Pennywise, we don't scrimp on the bonus features or we don't just have excess cuts. So we've actually got independent pieces. Uh, for example, Nightmare Cafe, the series he did in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, we got, uh, was it Gary Jack? Jack Coleman. Jack Coleman from that. But unfortunately, the story didn't quite fit into the overall narrative. However, we've now designed a, a six-minute piece that will be one of the bonus features on the nice. Blu-ray. Um, nice. So, yeah, it's it's it, you've got to have a balance of how far do I want to go into this topic, but at the same time, let's keep the momentum going. Let's exactly. go into the, you know, don't lose your audience because you're going too far down one rabbit hole. So it's difficult, but at the same time, it's not. It's yeah, really weird. No, I get it. I get it. But it's quite it's quite fun. It's like having a jigsaw to play with in a way. Now, Gary, listening to Robert talk about Freddy Krueger is really fascinating in that he says in a roundabout way that Freddy Krueger is an entity onto itself, you know? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't need Robert to survive. A lot of people would disagree with that, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel? What do you think about how he views the character that he brought to life? I think it's very difficult for Robert, and I think that, you know, he's kind of double-edged sword, isn't it? And that's the whole point of the doc as well, you know, he's created this iconic character, and it's kind of defined his career. And I think it's hard sometimes for Robert to, he's very, he's, he's, he hasn't got an ego, Robert hasn't, so he doesn't like be talking too much, it's really weird, about himself and about his legacy. Yeah. He's kind of shy, it's really hard to get out of him. I mean, the original title of the documentary was called Icon, and Robert asked for it to be changed. Because he didn't feel he was an icon. He's thinking, how can you not know you're an icon? You are the last great horror icon with exactly. Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, you know, Legosi. So uh, I think with Robert, it's kind of, you know, he has embraced the character. But like you just said, I genuinely believe that there is no Freddy Krueger without Robert. Mm -hmm. And I think Eli Roth says in the documentary, he says, everybody loves Freddy Krueger. But actually, everybody loves Robert England. That's the key thing there, that the reason why that character has been so successful and when we tried to remake it, it didn't quite work, was because Robert is, obviously he's not obviously Freddy, he's in regards to the entity, but he, he, he every pore of obviously Freddy Krueger, Robert comes out of it. Exactly. And I think that's the comedic timing. When you see Robert in real life, and obviously I hope we come across in the documentary, He's got that quirkiness that Freddie's got. He's got the, you know, the, the cheekiness and the twinkle in his eye. Yeah. So I think it's very difficult. I think Freddie is an entity. He's his own kind of like iconic pop status. He's here. Yeah. But Robert is the puppet master, really. It's not your yeah. way around. And sometimes people think it's Freddie that defines Robert. It's Robert that defines Freddie for me. And just how humble he is and to listen to him is amazing. Uh, Chris, obviously him and Wes Craven, the late Wes Craven, had a really close relationship. When you were listening to Robert talk, particularly about his relationship with Wes, uh, what were your overall thoughts on on that re relationship that they had? I think um, it's the it, well, it, ultimately it's the trust between them. Um, I think as well with 
with Robert, because um, we don't go too far into that on the documentary, if I had to be honest. One of the things where we kind of like, you know, didn't go too, too far with that. But obviously, we've got that archival interview with Wes, because mm-hmm. obviously, we've been a no-brainer. So if, I, he's kind of one of the ones I wish we could have had, to be honest, yeah. on this documentary. I mean, you know, God knows he's done, as uh, we've said to people, you know, Never Sleep Again. The documentary covered the franchise so well, and yeah. it has tons of Wes in that. So we've got this nice little archival piece where, because Wes Craven's one of those very thoughtful people who always talks about the dichotomy of good and evil within yeah. us all and everything like that, and the fact that he kind of knew Robert had it. Um, I, I'll sort of speak again in a roundabout way that I think the main thing from Robert is he always pays attention and he always absorbs and gets things from different directors, if that makes sense. It so we've got this little anecdote of obviously the you know his perception of what he thought Wes was going to be like, like David Lynch or Tim Burton or some goth guy, and then there he is in his pinwell corduroys and you know dad puns and God knows what. But um, I'd say ultimately, yeah, Robert's one of those people who, no matter if you're his senior or his junior, will always respect what you've got to say yeah. and do. So, yeah. Now, Gary, Robert seems. Uh very content that when his career is done with and people look back that the character of Freddy is what he is going to be known yeah. for. He seems very content with that. Uh, how does that strike you? Because here you have this amazing actor who has done such amazing work outside of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah. But he's resigned himself to, hey, people are going to remember me for this one character what are your thoughts on that i think it's again it's the blessing and curse really you know the the blessing of having a character like freddy krueger you know to shape your career and have you up there obviously you know always remembered on people's walls and you're wearing a t-shirt now with robert Don and freddy krueger and that will live long after freddy robert you know passes and we all pass freddy krueger will still be around robert will be obviously so connected to it and obviously the curse of it is is that you know does it restrict your career and we know that, you know, there's actors out there, we won't mention names, and we've met horror actors who I think are quite bitter about playing certain characters. And we've experienced that personally where, you know, on the on camera they're very kind of like, you know, energetic and talking about the character. As soon as we switch the camera off, it's quite negative really, you know, and it's like it's just they're just doing it because they have to talk about that character for the fans. Yeah. Yeah. Robert is completely different, and I think he definitely has embraced that. And I think it's really right that he has embraced it because... That's why he's there with, I keep saying, like the Christopher Lees and the Ghosties and the Peter Cushings. You know, you look at their careers, they, their careers started to obviously dwindle in the late 70s with Hammer and kind of disappearing, really. And that kind of style of horror, that kind of really elegant horror went in the late 70s, came very campy with the old Hammer films. Uh, and obviously, then Christopher Lee went on to have a massive career, obviously, you know, with Star Wars and Lord oh, of the Rings, yeah. which is brilliant for him, that Renaissance. But Robert was coming in just at the end of that. And I think because Robert is a classic trained theatre actor, Robert obviously then elevates himself above the, say, the standard horror icon yeah. to become this kind of like, you know, uh, legend in, in the horror industry, really. So I think it's really important Robert, uh, you know, has embraced it. And Robert says in the documentary a couple of times that there's times where he didn't really want to embrace that. And he thought, you know, is this it? And then I love that line when he says about his headstone, you know, uh, it will probably say here lies Robert, Robert Freddy Krueger and Zabrit Tree will say the same thing but that's really important I think really that mm-hmm. he, he he's remembered and that we all want we all want to leave a legacy behind don't we everybody you know everything yeah. we try and do if that's with our families or work or obviously our professional careers 
But Robert's done that with this character. So if he doesn't embrace it, that's a massive issue for the fans. It is. And when the fans meet him and they love him and he cares about the fans, that's part of that journey, really, part of that legacy. So I, I think he's embraced it and I think he rightfully has embraced it. I tell people, be careful who you wish to meet in real life. Yeah. Be yeah. very careful who you wish to meet in real life. Now, Christopher, we are—we actually know what would happen if the Elm Street movies were rebooted with a different Freddy. It's been done a while ago. It didn't go mm. as planned. Uh, do you think that the Elm Street franchise can breathe again without Robert as Freddy? It's an interesting one. I'm going to, if I had to, I'm not going to be on the fence. I'm going to be straight. I'm going to say no, I but agree. there's a little bit, <laughs> there's a bit of yes. I think um, we, we've discussed this before because, you know, we, we've had that renaissance of Candyman with the Jordan Peele iteration a few years yeah. ago. And I thought it was quite an interesting, I, I thought it was an all right film actually, and an interesting approach, approach where they managed to uh, get a little bit of Tony Todd in there. Yeah. But because of how limitless the Elm Street franchise is with all its visual aesthetics and dream worlds and this and that and, you know, effects. And the fact is, you know, we highlight in the doc that the third film that Heather Langenkamp says, you know, Robert was kind of hardly there on set because he was either a giant snake or, you know, the puppeteer in the air and everything like that. So I, I genuinely feel there is still room, not maybe not a great deal of time, you know, and when I say that we're talking, you know, 50 years or whatever, they should definitely look to try and bring it back yeah. with Rob, and not with Robert completely. I think, as I said, you can go all over the place with the Dream World. You could definitely incorporate Robert in there in places, albeit you know in a smaller way, in a more subtle way. So I don't know. I mean, it, it was proven with the remake; it didn't work out. It didn't well. work out. Yeah, and yeah. not uh, not because the actor did anything wrong. He was. I yeah. thought he was really good. It's just that people. It's just, Blind. it's Robert, you know what I mean? Now, before we go, Gary, I, I want I have one final question for you. You guys uh, have made a lot of documentaries together. You do a lot of writing. Chris has done a lot of directing. Um, how do you guys, how do you feel about the uh, documentary genre? And in particular, uh, what fuels your passion for horror? I think for us, obviously, we started 10 years ago with our first project. And prior to that, there wasn't that many documentaries other than bonus features on DVDs, which are very short, as as you know, and obviously yeah. as fans of the, of the film. Uh, you know, you had the likes of Never Sleep Again. You had the likes of Crystal Lake Memories. Or his, name is Jason, his name is Jason. When we started, it was very a small community, really. There wasn't many people doing it. And we ended you know, having this real mammoth kind of project with Leviathan. And then we went on to Pennywise and obviously Brewster. And it was quite a nice little community. It's gone really big now. And I think yeah. it, it's a positive and it's a negative because what it's done, it's kind of pushed the independent genre of documentaries, which we do, into a, a bigger audience, which is great. But at the same time, it kind of it makes us have to be a lot more clever and you know, when we were before, a lot more smarter and, and more business, you know, professional really regards to how we do things. So that's why our project's a little bit more delayed now because we have to go through a lot of red tape to get these things out. Yeah. I, I love I love the, the documentary drama. I mean, I, I said to you before, the very start, I knew when I was a kid who Robert England was because I was doing research as a kid and I loved the fact that you can just put a documentary on 
and just get right behind the scenes. And I think, you know, even the likes of Netflix and their documentaries now on, on true crime, and I love true crime, you know, it's like, you know, you get your, you know, your Dharma documentaries, your John Wayne Gacy's, and you get, you know, even much as a Coca-Cola documentary, people love it, people are binging on it. And I think that's really helped us, obviously, because what we've been, you know, battering through for the last 10 years of trying to be filmmakers yeah. and documentarians, it's, it's become a lot more legit now where people really want to see that. Oh, yeah. Hence, obviously, you know, how successful this has been already. And obviously, our, we're doing a four-part series on RoboDoc, you know, which comes out later this year through Screenbox. And that's, you know, we never, ever dreamed that would be a four-part series. Never dreamed of it. And we our next our next series will be on Police Academy as a four-part series. And it's like, again, when we started that project, it was only to be like, you know, a couple of hours. And people want that, you yeah. know, formal documentary experience now. So I think the genre is brilliant. I think it's, you know, I think there's some... It's, it's very dangerous that anyone can do it, I think, to a degree now, because you do kind of get overloaded sometimes with yeah. lots of lots of projects coming out. Um, but again, I still watch them. <laughs> I don't care if, if there's a documentary on, you know, the burning comes out. I'll watch it. If it's nine hours. I'll watch it. You know, and it's something I, you know, I, I love. Um, so yeah. So I think we're we're lucky to be part of it, and we're lucky, hopefully, to be ambassadors for it as well. What I've learned during this show for several years now is after people watch a film, or TV show, a document, whatever, that's when they go scouring for more information on it. Yeah. Documentaries, interviews. Yeah. After they've watched it. So that's really amazing. Again, everybody, the documentary is called Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. It is premiering exclusively on Screenbox June 6th, just a couple of weeks away. Check it out. This is a fascinating documentary by Gary Smart and Christopher Griffith. Uh, before we go, Chris, looking at all of Gary's memorabilia <laughs> behind him, have you ever had the idea of swiping a couple of items? <laughs> well, I've, I've got him to make me some. My wife's not a big fan of this, but um, I wonder why. <laughs> That's why things get a bit too freaky. But um, yeah. yeah, so I shouldn't chuck that away like that. No, uh, I have. I've been very lucky to inherit a lot of toys off Gary. I'm just <laughs> hemorrhaging for space now. And I've got my first child due uh, this year, so I feel like um, that space is going to become far, far more limited. Nice, nice. <laughs> I want to thank you guys so much again for coming on and sharing. I want to thank our audience, those of you who are tuning in live, and the many of you who will be watching this later on. On behalf of Gary, Christopher, and myself, stay safe. Watch the documentary June 6th. Stay walking. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks.